Uh, Mark in chapter 4 this morning will be our text, chapter 4, verse 35 through verse 41. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them and turn with me there, because we're here for one purpose, and that is to glorify God, and the way that we do that is by lifting up our voices, and you're good singers, and thank you, Luke, for leading us. Um, And we also do that by hearing uh, the Word of God as it is preached. Luke said, "Um, you're weird. Good morning, my weird friends. Yeah, I was thinking about that song. We we literally, we stand before a holy God. And and we have we have nothing. We have nothing to offer him. And and Jesus steps in and says, I, I have you covered. I'll take I'll take it all. My wife and I were out to dinner quite some time ago. Um, just a, a beautiful evening together and as we went to pay for our meal, uh, someone who was in the restaurant, I do not know had, had seen us and had paid for our meal, and, and we owe nothing. We, we enjoyed a whole evening, and uh, there's nothing we can do. All we did was just sit and enjoy a wonderful time together. Wonderful. That's exactly what God has done for every single one of us as we stand before his holy presence, unholy and stained as sinners. Uh, that is an amazing, that is an amazing truth. Um, and it's, it's in the name of Jesus that I greet you this morning. Um, we have an amazing text before us. Um, we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, but before we go any further, let's just bow our heads and thank God for an amazing, beautiful day and a time together um, in his word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come before you with our heads bowed, Lord, acknowledging your authority over us. Uh, Lord, we, we, we do not bow to anyone or anything else other than you. And Father, I, I thank you for uh, these dear um, brothers and sisters, friends that have gathered here in, in your house. Lord, and we gather with one purpose, and that is, Lord, to take all of the busyness and even the, the things at this very moment that are swirling through our minds and, and perhaps are heavy on our hearts and to cast all of that at your feet and to see you and hear from you. Lord, I am in constant need, and I ask right now for your Holy Spirit to fill me May your words be heard to fill this place, Lord, so that we know that when we leave here in a few moments, we we all understand that we've heard from you. God, I pray right now for, for individuals that are sitting here whose hearts are in turmoil. God, I would ask that you, uh, in a unique way, would would remind them of who you are and reveal your glory to us, as we will see in your word. That's That's what you long to do in our lives. We do love you. We stand amazed and humbled in your presence. Guide us now. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. The Gospel of Mark moves light and fast. We have been looking at and learning from 
uh, Jesus, the one who teaches. In the last several weeks, we've looked at this teaching method that he's used called parables. And we looked at the last couple ones, a, a seed of, of the word, okay, in a sense needs to be received like good soil. And what happens when we receive the seed of this word is that our lives will produce fruit. It's not if or hopefully. Our lives will produce fruit. We looked at another parable just recently in regards to the, the word is like light. And we know that a light illuminates a room. A light does one thing. It makes everything brighter. Um, the Word of God is like a light. You receive it. You must let it shine. Now, now Jesus uses several different pictures and parables all the way up through verse 34 that are basically reinforcing and establishing the exact same principle. It's about how you um, hear, how you know, and how you, in a sense, listen to the Word of God. There's a, there's a heavy weight on me. I, I oftentimes literally feel a pressure pushing down on me as I preach the Word of God. But as I, as I do my job before the Lord, you now have a responsibility. This is on you. When you hear, the Holy Spirit opens your ears to hear. You must do something with this Word of God. That's what Jesus is reinforcing, how we listen to the Word of God. And you know that listening is exhausting. It's hard work. That's exactly what God's Word is calling us to do, that we will shine, we will produce fruit when we hear and receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, all the way throughout the gospel of Mark, we, we continue to answer this question, who is Jesus? That's really what it's about. We see His power all over the place. We see His purpose and reason for existence. Today in, in our text, we see another Glimpse, we, we get a look at the fact that Jesus, the God-man, is sovereign ruler over everything and over everyone. He is ruler even over the wind and the sea, or what I call wind, waves, and the glory of God, by way of a topic this morning. Follow along very carefully as I read our text, Mark chapter 4, pick it up in verse 35. Read down through the end of the chapter through verse 41. Here we go. On that day, when evening had come, he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, Let us, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, 
And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is a well-known text, a familiar portion of Scripture. Jesus calms the storm. Oh yes, if we have heard it once, we have heard it a thousand times, just as Jesus calms the storm of the sea, Jesus can also calm the storm in your own life. Which is true in a sense that Jesus can calm anything that he ever wants. But I want you to understand this first and foremost. This is not what the text is about. Okay, that, that is not what we're speaking of. It's very, very interesting that whenever you and I hear Scripture, somehow we have the tendency to kind of see it, to hear it, to read the Word in a very egocentric or self-centered way. Remember um, years and years and years ago in, in science class when you, when you heard originally what people thought that, that all of the planets revolved around the earth. It was referred to as a, as a geocentric or an anthropocentric theory, that, that everything revolves around us until, and you remember this from science class, you're like, oh, I, his name was, was Nicholas Copernicus. He published this idea in 1543. He developed an astronomical model that actually caused an entire shift in this original kind of geocentric theory. And, and he proposed, he said, I don't really think everything is, is, is revolving around us. We are actually revolving around the sun. And, and he was right. Do you realize that when we read Scripture, we have a tendency to see all of Scripture, in a sense, revolving around what does it mean to me? All of Scripture revolves around the Son, S-O-N. Remember that. There is, there is truth here. There is a message that is much, much bigger and better than God calming the storms in your life. Instead, we get a glimpse here. We get a little tiny glimpse this morning of the Maker, the Maker of all. The storms and the seas and the winds. We get a glimpse of the one who rules and reigns, who is sovereign over everything. Perhaps, perhaps more specific to this text, we get a glimpse in, in answering this question that Mark is asking all the way through. Who, who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? We will see that Jesus is God and that Jesus reigns over all of the forces of nature and that Jesus desires to reign and to rule over your life, over your life. Let's, let's, let's look at this text. Number one, understand this. We have to grab hold of this. It's going to be hard for us. God's plan is to lead us into storms. Number one, God has a plan for your life. Yes, Jeremiah 29, and it's a good plan. There's no doubt but that does not exclude the fact that God has a plan and His plan is to lead 
you and I into storms. Here it is, after a long day of teaching, and there have been many people, there are crowds, it's, it's Jesus who speaks and he says this, let's go across to the other side. Jesus comes up with the idea, you know what, let's just get a whole change of scenery here. We need a break. You need a break. I love how it says this. It says that they took him, they took Jesus in the boat just as he was. Interesting little phrase that is mentioned. Perhaps because they had been exhausted from ministering to so many that they needed a break, and so they get into a boat. And if you recall in the earlier portion of the Gospel of Mark that, that when Jesus called these men, he called many of them who were fishermen. So this is kind of commonplace for them. Many of them grew up right here on the Sea of Galilee. It was, it was normal and natural for them. It was home for them. They knew it well. A little trip across this, this, this sea. In our, in our language today, it would actually be more like a lake. Thirteen miles long, eight miles wide. A trip from one side to the other for these guys was nothing more than a drive home from the office for you. It's a simple commute. Interesting here, geographically speaking, that the Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet, 705 feet to be precise, below sea level, below sea level, and just 30 miles north rises Mount Hermon, uh, um, 9,200 feet. What happens is that cold air would come over the top of Mount Hermon and would hit the warm air of the of, of the, how low the Sea of Galilee was, and there were what? It was commonplace for there to be fierce storms. And they would rise, and they would rise up very, very quickly. And there could be flashes of lightning and thunder and strong winds, and this particular storm came up very fast, and it came up very, very fierce. This one had to be exceptionally bad. Look what it says in verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling up. These men, commonplace, this is home to them, begin bailing water out of the boats, and yet it was so severe that these experienced seasoned fishermen actually got to the place that they thought, they thought, they're going to die, they're going to drown. In fear and panic, there's questions and and they doubt and they scream. It says that they woke him up and they said, Teacher, listen to this, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Have you ever said that before to God. Jesus is God. God is right there asleep in the stern of the boat, and yet in the middle of all of this, we get so concerned about our own well-being that we cry out, don't you care, God? You ever, ever perhaps not scream, but have you ever whispered that under your breath? Perhaps a time in your life that you know when the winds 
were blowing and the waves were crashing and your little tiny boat, your little tiny life is getting tossed about and you are wet and you are cold and you are scared. God, do you even care? You know, it's, it's, very, it's very, very easy for us to think that if we trust God, just give your life to Jesus, it's easy for us to think in this egocentric way that we live that God is then going to simply remove all the hardship or hard times or scary times. And that's really what a storm is. Hard times, scary times. People, let me tell you, that simply is not so. We do not read that. We do not see that anywhere in Scripture. We need to live expecting storms. I have been humbled and, 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 and amazed at watching a young couple very close to us recently. I know that I have shared about my little niece, Courtney, and her husband, Josh, who gave birth a couple months ago to, to our little great-nephew, Eli. And many of you have been praying, and, and I've watched this young couple, 22, 23 years old, very, very young, with un, un, unknown future, and I've seen them lean on, lean in, and trust God in an amazing way. I just recently read these words that my dear little niece, Courtney, wrote. In a sense, just documenting and journaling God's hand over them in the midst of a storm. And I quote, <clears throat> Courtney Kosorek. At 39 weeks pregnant, we found out that our precious baby boy had three very severe heart defects, a fatal combination. The chaos of seemingly endless fetal ectocardiograms and meetings with doctors to plan Eli's special entrance into the world began. There was very little time. One doctor sat us down explaining all of the risks, including a 90% chance of death. She brought up how her team would spend 10 minutes resuscitating Eli, after which he would either likely pass away from lack of oxygen or have severe cerebral palsy. The doctor went into great detail on what cerebral palsy could mean to us. And with our permission, after 10 minutes, they would simply stop working on him. With tears streaming down my husband's face, he repeated, Yes, we want him. Yes, we want him. The doctor wasn't even looking at him. She was staring at me. I was the mom. Somehow I had more to say. Without even a question in my mind, I agreed ardently with my husband. We want you to do as much as you can to save our son's life regardless of any outcome. Eli today still has a long road, but God has granted mercy on our family. Eli is our beautiful, feisty little man. And we wouldn't want him any other way because this is how God gave him to us. 
record. He writes, My son was fearfully and wonderfully made just as I was and just like you are. And then she concludes with this, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Wait, 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 wait a minute. There's a little tiny one that even at this moment, two months later, still is in intensive care. Have no idea about the future. And yet, this little one's mom and dad are saying, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You realize that there are storms that God, in a sense, steers us into with a purpose in mind. Let's, let's bring this into perspective with who Jesus is, where Jesus is, and what Jesus does. Number two, God's promise is to always be with us in the midst of the storms. God's promise is that he will always be with us in the midst of the storms. I honestly uh, am struck by the weird arrangement of this phrase, these next words. I I would say that some of my favorite arrangement of words in the Holy New Testament, but I've caught myself saying that over and over again, so I don't know if I can say these are my favorite Arrangement of words. But look look at verse 38. In the midst of this storm, you have to picture the waves, okay, that are pounding against the boat. The boat is filling up, and they're bailing, and wind is howling, and, and their face is, is stinging from the driving rain. Look at verse 38. It says this, But he was in the stern, and he was asleep on the cushion. I, I smile every single time. All of this going on, and he's in the stern, he's in the back of the boat, and he is asleep on a little cushion. Interesting to note as well that, that Mark, remember Mark does not waste words. Mark is the only one who actually includes this little detail. I think it's fascinating. But in these, in these few words, he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, I think it reminds us that Jesus functions at a whole, an entirely different level than we do. I want you to, to, to hear this. I want you to see this. That Jesus is present here. He is there. Just like at this very moment, He is here. He always was, and He always will be present, at peace, and in complete control. It's an amazing uh, description of some of the attributes, the characteristics of God, and and, and one of them is referred to as as the omnipresence of God. Omni-all-presence. He's all present wherever and we see this all the way through the pages of scripture i don't want to take too much time but listen to this listen to some of the pages of scripture that describe the omnipresence of god job chapter 34 and verse 21 for his eyes are upon the ways of a man and he sees all of his 
steps. Every step that you take, every step. You know the little, the little nerdy thing you got on your arm that counts your steps, right? That doesn't hold a candle to the thing that, that Jesus sees it all. I'm going to get emails on nerdy hand things now. Sorry. Wow, that mind is frightening. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and my eye is upon you. Wherever you go, God says, I see you. Excuse me, Proverbs in 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil. But wait a minute, he's watching, he's watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah chapter 22, it says, Can a man hide himself in hiding places that I do not see him? And Jesus asked a rhetorical, God asked a rhetorical question, Do I not fill heavens and earth? Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, For, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Hebrews 13 quotes Deuteronomy 31 says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Our final words from Jesus, the Great Commission, says what? That I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are moments that we need to remember these words from Scripture. Hold on to this. There is no place that God does not exist. Some of you have been in the waiting rooms. Some of you have been in the hospital rooms. Some of you have gathered together as family at the funeral home. And you have to remember that regardless of how dark, regardless of how high, regardless of how frightening or scary, we understand there is no place that God is not present, that God does not exist. Please remember the deafening thunder and the fierceness of the wind, the height of the waves, or the sting of the driving rain against your face. I will never leave you. And you can go to the bank with that. Thirdly and finally, God's purpose is that we see His glory as a result of the storms. God's purpose is that we see His glory as a result of the storms. Do, do, you, do you realize that? That we get a glimpse of God in the midst of this. When Jesus woke up, two amazing things happened. Number one, he speaks. He says this, He rebuked the wind in this, and, and said to the sea, Peace be still. The first amazing thing that happened, Jesus spoke. The second amazing thing that Jesus, that, that we saw happen, is that the storm, the storm obeyed. We're still amazed when our kids obey us, let alone the storm obeyed. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You realize that for a brief moment right there, that the disciples saw right in front of them all of the majesty, all of the might, all the power, and all of the glory of Jesus unveiled at that one moment been outside in the, in the middle of a storm before and there is a flash of, of lightning and for that like half second that split second everything illuminates everything is seen it's like daylight for that one flash 
That's exactly what's happening right here. In that one moment, the disciples saw him just as he is in his glory. And then there is what? There is the spoken word. Do you realize the significance of the spoken word of God? God spoke and what? Everything in Genesis chapter 1 comes into existence. Everything. I'm I'm amazed, and, and I, I watch as this time of the year, the 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 buds and the flowers are opening. And literally, I, I found myself I'm staring at a branch yesterday. There's there's buds on it. I'm studying it. I'm looking at it. It's like wild. It was dead. There's nothing there, and it's bursting into life. God does that at His spoken words. At His spoken word. Old man Abraham becomes the father of an entire nation. At his spoken word, the Red Sea parts, and his own children walk through on dry land, safe. At his spoken word, a little tiny shepherd boy just rocks, literally a giant Goliath to the ground. Think of the biggest point of success in your entire life. Where was it? Can you think of it when you walked across the stage and received a diploma? When you stood on top of, of the, the little wooden boxes, okay, and people would cheer for you? Think of the pinnacle moment of your entire life. Put that up to what this little boy, David, did. He goes, well, yeah, well, what I did is, you know, I just took a rock and, slayed a nine-foot giant. And then when I cut off his head and held it up, the entire army kind of ran away. Match that to your greatest feat. Doesn't really quite match. But God spoke and God used. God spoke in what a young little virgin gave birth. God spoke and the blind and the crippled and the sick were healed. God spoke and the winds and the sea obeyed. God spoke and the grave opened. His spoken word and His work on display. Sometimes God chooses a storm in our lives for us to see it. Do you realize that? Prophet Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Everyone's going to see the glory of God. Every single one. A couple takeaways I want you to have this morning. Just like the disciples, it's too easy for us to have little faith. We, you, and I. We, we, our faith is so tiny at times. We see this in verse 40. And we see these two questions, two questions. Two question marks. Jesus, after he awakes, after he speaks, after the whole storm is calm, he says this, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And you have to understand the emphasis here is, is an exhortation. It's a chiding, correcting comment. This is not a gentle... Why don't you guys have any faith? No, 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 no. It's not like that. It's not the right tone. Why is it that you still 
are doubting me. <clears throat> the disciples were asking, don't, don't, don't you care for us? And then Jesus responds with this firm. You don't think I care for you? I am here with you. I came here to die for you. I came here to show my care for you. I, I love you. <clears throat> yet, yet, at some reason, because of the waves and because of the storm, they're not convinced of that. In the same way that you and I go through challenging moments in our life and our, our faith kind of moves into that same little tiny category of really wondering, does God really care for us and God still love us? <clears throat> They realized that there's no doubt when that boat was filling with water, they were afraid. Okay, they actually thought they were going to die. But do you realize that, that after Jesus chides them or corrects them for their lack of faith, they're more afraid. It says that they were in great fear. Some translations translate it, they're terrified. And they ask the question, who, who is this one that even the weak? wind and the sea obey him. Jesus is far more powerful than any storm. The difference is that the storm doesn't love them. And Jesus does. And we sadly are so much, we so easily do the same. Sinclair Ferguson writes, and I quote, he says, we allow our faith oftentimes to be diverted from its anchor on the cross and lose our moorings in the storms of life. And that is so true. Our faith oftentimes is too little, is too small. Secondly, we forget God's glory is often revealed through His spoken word. We forget and fail. Do you remember the very first words of red, red that we, we read this morning? They're in red. Jesus says in verse 35, Let us go across to the other side. Jesus said we're going to the other side. If Jesus said that we're going to the other side, guess what's going to happen? You're going to make it to the other side. Jesus said we're going to the other side. Did he say anything about not getting wet on the journey? No. Did he say anything about smooth sailing the entire? No. He said we're going to the other side. You realize that Jesus said what? You trust me and your sins are forgiven. There's no greater truth than that. When Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, that he is good to his words. When Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which are lost, and Jesus does exactly that. We have, to, we have to hold on to the, to, the, to the authority and the power that exists in the Word of God. Reading just past week when I was at a, a conference, Aaron and I were together and did a lot of study on the Protestant Reformation. We were reminded of the 287 Christians, Protestants, that were martyred under Queen Mary's reign. Many of them literally burned at the stake because they would not renounce their faith or recant their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What one, one of them actually, as, as, as they're standing in a barrel that is filled with oil and sticks were being put in, 
one, one, one priest came up to him and said, just whisper quietly in my ear. You don't have to say it out loud. Just whisper quietly that you renounce faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally shouted down. He said, will someone please stop this man from bothering me? Looked at the executioner and said, do your work. Where does that faith come from? How does that happen? When Jesus, when Jesus says, follow me, literally it translates from the Greek to English. It means this, follow me. He's not saying follow me if it's sunny and warm outside or follow me if it's easy or, or fun. He says, follow me. That's this, what this text is about. It, it, it is not a peace from storms. It is a peace in the midst of storms. And in the midst of those storms is when we get a glimpse of the glory of God. We, we view Him as He is. So may we understand the magnificent heart. I understand truth to realize, but the magnificent weight and value of Scripture that we are moving through this world, that God allows us, what, to get tossed about a little bit. But, but He said we will make it to the other side because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we rejoice in that. Father, we love you. We thank you for your promises of Scripture. And God, I would ask that you would give to us strength and a renewed faith to keep our eyes on you in the midst, in the middle of storms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.